And I pray, Lord, that you'd bring your power upon us now through your word, by the Spirit. Help me as I preach. I need your help, Lord, to be in sync with your scriptures and with your spirit and touch my heart more and let this build us up and encourage us and strengthen us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's start by passing out Bibles. Uh, if you need a Bible, we'd like you all to have one, so go ahead and raise your hand and we'll, we'll uh, pass one out to you. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures this morning, um, so just go ahead and be bold. In fact, if you just decide you want to just like listen, I'll read all the scriptures. All the references are down in your notes, so you can look them up later. We're going to be doing a lot of them. I'll try to speak out the page numbers, which match these Bibles we're passing out. Uh, got a lot of scriptures we're covering. I hope to take them each in context, though. You can read the context. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. But let's go ahead and get those passed out now so we're ready to roll when we, when we start looking up scriptures. I want you to start uh, just, by having, just by imagining um, that you just bought a Porsche Carrera. Okay, any of you car guys out there? Uh, you looked at the you looked at the manual. You know, you studied it carefully. You saw all the details about it. You saw, for example, that it zooms along at a top speed of 180 miles an hour, and the day has finally come. And you bought this Porsche Carrera, and uh, you head out of the dealership and uh, put the pedal to the metal and take it up through its gears, only to discover that you can't get it past 50 miles an hour. It's just not busting past 50 miles an hour. You're thinking 180 miles an hour, and you're, you're hitting 50. And you, you know, there it is in the manual, 180, but you're only hitting 50. So here's the, the question is, what would you do at that point? Would you just like settle for 50 miles an hour? Or would you try to figure out how you can make that car go faster and get up to what uh, it was described as going in the manual? Would you settle for it, or would you figure out what's wrong? And that's the question that I posed to our home group leaders uh, this summer. As we spent three evenings uh, studying the manual about church life, okay? We wanted to study what, what was church like in the New Testament. And what we saw was church zooming along at 180 miles an hour. In the sense that, in the book of Acts, and the letters of the New Testament, what you see is that every believer is totally sold out to Jesus Christ, passionately trusting him, loving him, experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in, in his or her life, full of love for brothers and sisters, boldly showing Jesus' love to people and sharing Jesus' love with People. And as a result of this, people are coming to know the Lord all the time, and teams are being sent out into the surrounding communities to plant new churches, and the result is that the whole Roman Empire ends up being filled with the gospel. 180 miles an hour. That's what the manual says. Okay, you got one too. But as I look at our church and at the vast majority of churches that I study, Big churches, medium churches, small churches. Most churches, vast majority in this country, I don't think are hitting 180 miles an hour. 50, 60, 70, whatever. Now, I don't want to overstate this, so, so listen to this very carefully. 
every church that's naming the name of Christ and that's preaching the scriptures is a treasure in God's eyes and he is doing a marvelous work in it. Right? And so we should celebrate everything that's happening here. And, and I, frankly, am absolutely thrilled with what God has been doing here and what he is doing here. I brag about you folks all the time when I'm at pastor's meetings. And the love that's here for each other and the, the giving of yourselves to each other and the earnestness in seeking Christ. So I'm always bragging on you. But I would be remiss if I let you think that we've experienced everything that Jesus has for us. Because we have not. As much as we're experiencing, there is more. There is much more. There's 180 miles an hour more, as described in the the church manual. And so what I want to do is take the next four weeks, starting today, and look at the manual to see how can we increase our speed. What does the scriptures teach about how we can increase our speed? our speed and our effectiveness. And so, as I've looked at the book of Acts and and the letters of the New Testament and the Gospels, I I saw four, um, I need to call them foundations. Kick kick up the next slide, Tom. Four, no, that one right there. I I saw four parts. I don't know if you call them steps. I don't want to make this sound mechanical. God's got to breathe on this. This isn't something we have control over, but these are steps he calls us to take. And so I'm going to take one step a week. It, It all starts with faith. As you read the New Testament, where every believer is sold out in trusting their lives completely to Jesus Christ and his promises. And the results of that, as we'll see in a moment this morning, is that they experience the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. They're full of joy and peace in believing. They love each other. They're obedient to the Lord Jesus. That's faith. It starts there. The result, then, of all of us earnestly trusting Jesus and his promises, the result will be love for each other, community, where we are committed to building each other up. We're especially focusing on this in our home groups here, where we're building each other up in trusting the Lord Jesus, trusting his promises. So we're building each other up and strengthening each other. And the result of people who are trusting Jesus, building each other up and trusting Jesus, is there's even more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's even more joy and peace experienced in him. There's even more love for each other. There's even more bold, costly obedience in advancing the gospel. And so the result of faith and community mixed together is mission, where every believer is loving and befriending people who don't yet know Jesus, because we know Jesus and what it means to come to know him and have your heart forgiven by him and filled with him. And you long for people to experience that who don't know the Lord Jesus. And so we're all out there loving people, showing them Jesus by our love and our friendship and our care and sharing Jesus by our words. And so then the result of faith coupled with community, coupled with mission is multiplication, where Every single one of us, I think this is what the scriptures teach, every one of us can have the joy of leading someone who doesn't yet know Jesus to come to know Jesus. Jesus wants to give you the joy of being, of having spiritual children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, if you will. So there's a, there's a multiplying, a reproducing of yourself in the life of another who then is trained up and discipled to reproduce himself or herself in the life of another. And then teams are sent out to plant churches and, and the city gets filled with the gospel. That's what we read in the New Testament. That's 180 miles an hour. That's what I'm longing for. Now, now don't misunderstand what's behind this. 
It's not that I'm interested in, like, let's get more people into our church so like, we could become famous and be written up in Christianity today or maybe even have a building. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Set up crew, take down crew. I know you'd love that. Um, that is not what my interest is. My longing, the longing of the elders here, let me put it this way, there's over 900,000 lost people in San Jose this morning who do not know Jesus Christ. And we're called to help them, to seek and save lost people with Jesus. And so my longing is that we would see hundreds of people come to know Jesus Christ and see home groups multiplied throughout the South Bay Area and see churches planted throughout the South Bay Area. That's my longing. Let me put it like this. If 10 years from now, I'm here at Allen School preaching to about 130 people. But if in the meantime, we've seen so many people brought to Christ and so many leaders raised up and so many home groups multiplied that there's a dozen new churches out there in the South Bay Area, I'm going to be a very happy man. That is a massive win. That's what's on my heart. Multiplying churches because then people are coming to know Jesus and are growing in him and are experiencing him and are rising up and having the joy of leading and sharing Christ with people. So that's where we're going. And this morning I want to start off with faith. That is the foundation of the whole thing. And and I want to persuade you about why faith in Jesus Christ has to be the starting place of the whole thing. By just raising the question first, so why is faith so important? Why start there? Why is that the foundation? Let me rapid fire give you seven reasons in the scriptures. You see the references there? First of all, the reason why faith is a foundation is because faith brings salvation. This is huge. This is impossible to overstate. We've all rebelled against God, our creator, our loving, wise, good, compassionate creator, who satisfies our hearts with himself, we've all rebelled against him, turned away from him, and we are locked under sin's guilt and power because of it. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the guilt of sin, to break the power of sin. He's done that. That's available. It happened 2,000 years ago. Objective reality of what Jesus did on the cross. And there's one way and one way alone that you can connect with Jesus guilt-paying forgiveness and sin-breaking work on the cross. There's only one way, and that's through trusting him, through faith. Trusting Jesus Christ. If you're not trusting Jesus, you're not saved. Even if you go to church every Sunday, if you're not trusting Jesus, you're not saved. Here's the scripture, Acts 16, 30, and 31. You know the story. Paul and Silas in prison, earthquake comes, Jailer, they don't escape, they stay there for the sake of the jailer. Verse 30, the jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Faith is the foundation because your infinitely most massive need is to be forgiven for your sins and to have the power of sin broken that comes through the cross by faith alone. Starting point. Second, faith brings the Holy Spirit. Deep down inside, we all have a thirst to know God. God created you with that thirst. Nothing else will satisfy you. All the other stuff you're looking for, nothing will satisfy you. 
apart from knowing God. And you can know him through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? How do you experience that work of the Holy Spirit? John seven thirty seven to 39. This is page 893. Listen to what Jesus says. If anyone thirsts, he says, let him come to me and drink. Thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. Whoever believes, there's faith, in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So what we do to receive the Holy Spirit is faith. We believe in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. As you're trusting Jesus, there will be times when Jesus pours the Holy Spirit out upon you, satisfies your heart with his real presence, God in Christ. You know God. You know Jesus. First-hand, authentic, heartfelt, experienced connection. Faith brings the Holy Spirit. Third, faith brings joy and peace. Not a plastic, um, paste to smile on your face kind of joy or kind of a Pollyanna kind of peace, but a real heartfelt joy in the peace that can happen in the thick of trials, that can happen while you're weeping, that Ernie can experience with his dad gone home and he misses him. You know what I'm talking about? Joy and peace in your heart. Where does that come from? Faith. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It comes in believing. It's in trusting Jesus that that comes. That's what we do. We trust Jesus And he will bring us joy and he will bring us peace. So faith brings heartfelt joy and peace. Fourth, faith produces love. Where does love come from? Got somebody you're angry at. Where's love for them going to come from? Got somebody who's harmed you. Where's love going to come from? You're just kind of a selfish person. You like to kind of hole up in your cave. Where's love for people going to come from? Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only, here's what does count, only faith working through love. Okay, where does love come from? Love is the outworking of faith. If faith is here, faith will work itself out in love. That is when you trust Jesus, the joy and peace he fills your heart has to overflow in love to other people. That's how it works. You trust Jesus, fight the fight of faith, peace comes, joy comes, you love other people. That's the flow. So faith produces love. Fifth, faith produces obedience. Hebrews 11.8. Abraham is our example. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. Abraham obeyed by faith, which means that faith is the cause of his obedience. Obedience to Jesus doesn't come from willpower or gritting your teeth or being really, really disciplined. It comes from trusting him. And when you trust Jesus, obedience flows. When obedience is lacking, the problem is faith. When faith is there, Obedience flows. Sixth, one of my favorite ones. 
We're talking about this in home group Wednesday night. Faith extinguishes all Satan's flaming darts. All of you have been targets this week of flaming darts from the evil one, right? He's constantly trying to wound us or destroy us spiritually with flaming darts of of pride or of lust or of greed or of discouragement or of insecurity or fear or worry or boastfulness or whatever it might be. He's, He's constantly launching flaming darts at us. But God has given us a shield, this is amazing, which can quench all of them. All of them. The question we talked about in our home group was, what's your biggest flaming dart today, and is it stuck in the shield, or is it stuck in you? Right? I should have read the verse there. Here's the verse. All right, Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. That is so encouraging. <laughs> that is so encouraging. I've been, I've had some flaming darts stuck in me this last week because I didn't get the shield up anywhere near quick enough, but when you get the shield up, then, then they get stuck out. And it, anyway, I don't know how that works, but all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, I gotta keep going. One more, seventh. Faith results in people being saved. Acts 16, five. Here's what the manual says. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, there's faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing? 180 miles an hour, okay? That's what the manual says. Churches can increase in number daily. But did you notice what was said first. First, they were strengthened in faith. And as a consequence of that, they increased in numbers daily. So can you see why it all starts with faith? Can you feel that? Faith is where salvation comes from. If you don't have salvation, you don't have anything. Faith is where your joy and your peace will come from. Faith is where the the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit making God the Father and Jesus his Son real to you in your heart. Oh, how precious that is. That comes from faith. Love comes from faith. Obedience comes from faith. The shield of faith which extinguishes all the darts is faith. And people being saved comes from faith. So the whole Christian life, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that there's other things we do in the Christian life, but nothing is more important than faith. Everything else flows from faith. Okay, now if that's true, and you, you might look at your life, and probably all of us probably should look at our life and, and say, well, okay, but all these results of faith, I'm not experiencing all of them as much as I think I'd like to experience them. I'm not experiencing the Holy Spirit making Jesus real to me much. And there's areas of disobedience in my life, either doing things Jesus tells me not to do or not doing things he's called me to do. My love for other people is kind of flighty and flimsy. Right? I I haven't led anybody to the Lord in ages, you know. And and so, here's all these things that are the result of faith, and yet I think if we're honest, we'll all say, there's lack in my life. There's, There's some lack here. 
So if all these things come from faith and we're not experiencing these things to the fullness described in the scriptures, then wouldn't it make sense to think that the problem is with our faith? If faith brings all of these things, but we're weak in some of these things, or maybe even all of them, the problem's got to be back here with faith. And and I, I think probably a large part of the issue for some of us is we don't understand what faith is. You might think that, that you're, you're, you're having faith in Jesus Christ, but if we're wrong on what faith is, then it would make sense why these things aren't happening to the fullness that's described in the scriptures. Does that make sense? So let's address the question about, well, what is faith? I mean, really, really honestly, what is faith? And I think one of the most common misunderstandings about faith that I used to have, and I think maybe some of you have, is where we think faith is just believing or like agreeing to facts about God or about Jesus. It's agreeing to facts about God. Um, but that's not saving faith. That's not the faith that results in love and the Holy Spirit and joy and peace and obedience and all these different things. Here's a scripture, James 2.19, kind of a shocking scripture. James is talking to a church where a lot of people just believe in facts about God and he wants to shake them up. He says this, you believe that God is one. You believe that fact about God. You do well. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. So he wants to shock them. Okay? The point he wants to make is that true biblical faith isn't just believing facts about God because the demons do that. But the demons aren't saved. And so clearly believing facts about God or facts about Jesus isn't saving faith that brings the Holy Spirit and brings joy and peace and brings love and brings obedience and brings the shield of faith and all those things. So true biblical faith is not just believing facts about Jesus. Biblical faith means trusting your life to Jesus. There's a world of difference between agreeing to facts about Jesus He's the son of God. He died on the cross. He's the second person in the Trinity. He's coming again. The demons agree with all of those facts. You understand that? They've got all those down. They know all that's very true. What the demons are not doing is trusting themselves to Jesus. That's what they're not doing. So let me give you an illustration. Um, here's a chair, okay, right here. Now, I can stand over here, you can sit out there, and I can believe the fact that that chair would hold me up. You've probably heard something like this before, so this is such a great illustration. I can believe the fact that that chair would hold me up. But as long as I'm standing over here, I'm not trusting myself to that chair, right? I can believe that that chair would hold me up, but I'm not trusting it. I don't have saving faith because I'm not resting myself in that chair. So saving faith is not just believing fact, 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 fact about Jesus. Saving faith is where I take my life and I entrust it to Jesus. I I take my life, Steve Fuller, all of my longings and my dreams and my desires and my questions and my Everything, my, my career, my marriage, my kids, our daughter, okay? And I, I rest, I trust all of what I am in Jesus. Now, I'm trusting myself to this chair. 
Okay? As long as I'm just agreeing that sure can hold people up, that's not saving faith. I need to take my life and actually entrust it to Jesus. That's what saving faith is. Let's try an example. Here's, here's a promise that Jesus gives. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. you know this one. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a great, great promise. Can I, this is something Jesus has promised you. He's promised you this. Now here's the million dollar question. What do you do really? Real life, okay? Reality show. No, not reality show, real life, okay? What do you do real life when you are weary and heavy laden? Honestly, what do you do? Do you come to Jesus to get your rest? Do you come to him and talk to him and cast your burdens upon him and fellowship with him and read his promises to you and read of his love for you and ask him to come and bring you rest? Is that what you do? Sometimes, Lance, right on. We're glad. And that's, that's true for all of us, okay? But do you understand that if you don't do that, you're not trusting Jesus. We've, we've got to be clear on this. Oh, but I, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Well, yes, and the demons do too. Right? Faith in Jesus, biblical faith means you take your need for rest and you trust it to Jesus. And so you come to him and you seek him. Oh, this is crucial. Now, I just, I'm, I'm praying, because I, I wouldn't be at all surprised that, that some of you might even think you're totally saved and everything's fine, and yet all you've had for faith is believing facts, agreeing to facts about Jesus. And what you trust your life to is your career, or, and career's good. Not, not to be trusted, though, for your life. Come on. Okay? Or uh, friends, or money, and friends are good, and money's good, but, but not to trust your life to. So ask yourself, are you trusting your life to Jesus? Because that's what faith is. Matthew eleven twenty eight is just one promise. And the Bible's full of what Jesus has promised to us. I mean, this is a, it's, it's a manual. It's also a, a, a promise book, okay? I mean, Jesus has promised to forgive all the guilt for all of your sin, past, present, and future, by what he did on the cross. What are you resting your need for forgiveness in? Is it, is it Jesus? Are you trusting him for that? Or are you still trying to make yourself good enough so that you might be accepted by God? Honestly, are you trusting your need for forgiveness to Jesus? Do you know you're completely forgiven? Are you living in that? Are you walking in knowing that the Father loves you in Christ? You're accepted in him. Are you living in the confidence of that? Or are you striving to to gain acceptance from God by, by trying to do good things and not do bad things. Rest your life, your need for forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus has promised to, to break the power of your sin. Jesus has promised to satisfy every longing, the deepest longings of your heart. Uh, John 6.35. He's promised the verse that Maria read, that the good work he starts in you, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. He's promised to give you all the wisdom that you need. 
James 1.5. He's promised to uh, strengthen you for whatever he calls you to do, Philippians 4.13. He's promised to comfort you in all of your heartache, 2 Corinthians 1. He's promised to work through you in the life of other brothers and sisters to build them up in trusting Jesus. He's promised to work through you in the life of people who don't yet know Jesus to bring them to know Jesus. He's promised to raise you from the dead at the end of your life. He's promised to orchestrate everything in your future to bring you heart-filling joy in him. Promise, 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 and there's dozens and dozens and dozens more. So the question is, here you are, a bundle of needs, a bundle of longings, a bundle of insecurities, and are you trusting those to, to Jesus? Or are you just agreeing to facts about Jesus and thinking that that's it? Okay? I hope you feel the difference. Massive difference. Now, what is it then that keeps us from trusting Jesus? Because I, I would guess that at this point we're thinking, I, I do trust Jesus I mean, there may be some of you who don't trust Jesus at all yet. Um, and by the way, we are really glad you're here. And our longing is that you would come to know Jesus and trust him today. That's our longing, today. I mean, you, you could leave here transformed today by Jesus. He's the one who transforms us. So some of you maybe aren't trusting Jesus at all. And the rest of us, though, if we're honest, will probably say, I, I'm trusting Jesus, like Lance said, much of the time. And there's other times and other maybe areas of my life, I'm not trusting him so much. So to really strengthen faith, we've got to ask, what keeps me from trusting my life to Jesus? What, what gets in the way? And the, and the answer, there's lots of scriptures that give the answer, but let me share one in Isaiah 31, verse 1. This is page 592 in the Bibles we passed out. Here's the scenario. Israel's facing an invading army, wants to conquer her, Israel. But she's not She's chosen not to trust God. And Isaiah 31.1 explains why she's not trusting God. And look at what we read here. Isaiah 31.1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So what kept Israel from trusting in the Lord was her trust in Egypt's chariots and horsemen. She thought, well, we rely on Egypt. Egypt will protect us from this invading army that's coming in. And that's true for all of us. What keeps me from trusting Jesus is that I'm trusting something else instead of Jesus. That's why. This is true for all of us. See, Every human being is always relying on something for your identity, your security, your satisfaction, your future. We are always trusting something. We're always living by faith in something. So helpful to understand this. Faith isn't something you switch on the moment you become a Christian. You've always had faith in something all along, but now you shift what you've been trusting from whatever else to Jesus. And we trust stuff like money, trust stuff like sexual pleasure, like career, like friends. And, and those, are, those can be wonderful gifts from God in the right context, in the right setting. But none of those can bear the weight of your need for identity, security, satisfaction, future. None of them can. They can be wonderful gifts from God, but they were never intended to be what you trusted in for your identity, security, fulfillment, and future. Only 
God in Jesus can bear the weight of your needs for identity and security and trust and future. Got that? Okay, that's how it works. So what keeps me from trusting Jesus is the other things I've been trusting. So like, how can you tell what those are? We're all trusting other things. How can you tell what they are? Here's the questions I ask myself. Jot these down. It's this crucial part of the rhythm of living a Christian life. Ask yourself, when your brain is is in neutral, what do you daydream about? It's a good thing to think about. Um, What do you desire the most? Really, what do you long for? What gets you the most excited about getting? What do you fear losing the most? What lack bothers you the most? Different, different ways of asking the exact same question. Because the answer to those is what are, you, what are you trusting the most? Okay, like this last week, there's been times where I was not trusting Jesus. There was a time when I was, this is kind of, it's not kind of weird, but I was trusting the need to solve a, a question about what we should do in an area of our church. And I could tell I was trusting in that because I was really bugged. I was bothered. I didn't have the answer to that yet. And I was getting kind of snippy with Jan and just kind of, you know. But see, at that point in time, I was, I was not resting in Jesus. Jesus, you're going to give me the answer. I'm trusting you. You're in control of this. It's all right. That's right about this other chair out here. Because I was, I was resting in something else, okay? Getting this problem solved. Now, I, I couldn't find a smaller chair. I tried to find the smallest chair possible, okay? Because... Anything else you trust, it's really kind of more like this. I mean, it's like, it's a little tiny chair. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what happens, right? So that's, that's really how it works, because to trust me being able to solve this problem, that's like, that, that's not going to hold me up. But if I can rest in Jesus instead and ask him for help and trust him for it, I won't be snippy at Jan, I'll be at peace, and he'll give me the wisdom that I need. See how that works? There's also time this last week, you know I've had some trouble with my knee, where what I was trusting in was a healthy knee. I've shared about that before too. Uh, because I was just really depressed and discouraged that maybe my knee's not going to get better. And uh, what is that going to mean? And, um, but instead of resting not in a healthy knee, but in, so this is the healthy knee. If I'm, if I'm, that's where I was, wrong chair. Okay, that's what I was thinking in that chair, not to confuse you. Okay, and then it's like, Lord, heal my knee. But if you choose not to, you're my prize, you're my treasure. Help me to feel that. Help me to really feel that in my heart right now. It's like what Dave was saying. You're seeking the Lord for these things. Okay, so what we have to understand is that we're always trusting something for my identity. Like, when you struggle with identity, where do you go? Do you think, like, who am I? What am I? Do you think, well, well, I work at IBM. (laughs) Is that what you think? Okay. We're glad you work at IBM. That's a gift from God that you work at IBM. But that chair is not going to hold you up. Your need for identity is much bigger than that. Who are you? Who am I? I'm feeling insecure. I am loved by the Son of God who died for me and gave his life for me. The good work he started in me, he's going to continue. Now that could hold you up. Where do you turn when you're struggling with insecurity? I, I work for IBM. Or like, I know George, you know, or whatever it might be. I mean, honestly, you know, we all do this. Where does your mind rest when you have that need? Does it rest in Jesus, the cross, his promises? Or does it rest in some other little tiny chair that's going to be crushed under your weight? Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Now, so how do we grow in trusting Jesus? 
this is this is the foundational thing. If you think back on that picture, the the, the four foundational pieces. This is foundational for us. And and let me just share a, a rhythm you find in Scripture. There's three parts. It's prayer. It's repent. And it's promises. It's just, there's all other words you could use, but there's this rhythm of how we walk with Jesus by faith. First of all, so this is how, how do I grow in trusting Jesus? Three suggestions. First, pray and ask Jesus to help you. Say, Jesus, I'm not feeling it now. I'm not feeling that you're my treasure. I'd rather have my knee be better, please. I mean, I'm sorry that that's more important to me now. Change my heart. Heal my knee, but change my heart. You're my treasure. So pray and ask Jesus to help you. Help me to to trust you to satisfy me now more than lustful thoughts or more than money or whatever it might be. I love Mark 9.24. Remember the man with the demonized boy? I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, that's the first step. Jesus, help me. Help me. And you know, Jesus will always help you. This is kind of what Dave Strauss was showing earlier. No matter how dismal you feel about things, no matter how far away from Jesus Christ you might feel, no matter how weak your faith might feel, no matter how you can't even maybe see any, any remnants of faith in there, if you will come to Jesus and say from the heart and mean it, help me, he will always help you. Always help you. Second, repent over what you've been trusting instead of Jesus. Repentance is vital. Acts 20, 21 talks about repentance towards God where we turn from what we were trusting. Okay, I was over here. Repentance means I get up and I kick over the chair. Oops, that's, that's really bad. Now my right knee bad too, okay. And then uh, we come over and sit in this chair. But see, a big problem here is that if you want to trust Jesus for your security, but your security is really in your money, you can't trust Jesus to be your security while your security's in your money. You can't do both. You can't do both. No one can serve two masters. If you're trusting money for your security, you're not trusting Jesus. Straight up. Okay? You gotta repent of trusting money for your security, and you gotta go over and put your trust in Jesus. Now, nothing wrong with money, right? But money was never supposed to be what you trusted for your security. You'll learn that. Okay? All right. So you've got to repent. Let me put it this way. To trust Jesus, you must turn from everything else you've been trusting and trust him alone. You must do that. It doesn't mean you become perfect, but in your heart say, I want to stop trusting that, Jesus. I want to stop trusting that. You are my trust. You're my security. You're my satisfaction. You're my future. You're my hope. You're my treasure. You, you have to repent of the other things you are trusting to trust Jesus. If you're trying to trust Jesus while you're also trusting money for your ultimate satisfaction or this or that or other thing for your ultimate satisfaction, you will not be able to trust Jesus. Do you understand that? So church, I plead with you, for your sake, for your eternity's sake, for your salvation's sake, you have to repent of whatever else you've been trusting and trust Jesus alone. He is God. He will not have others beside him that you're trusting. Like, how about money and you, Jesus? No! Won't be. No one can serve two masters. 
You have to repent over whatever else you've been trusting and turn to trust Jesus alone. And when you do that, Holy Spirit poured out, joy and peace given, life, heart changed, forgiveness imparted. So I'm I'm pleading with you mostly for your eternity's sake, but also because that's how you move from 50 miles an hour to 80, 90, 120, 180. Third, Pray over the promises in God's word until your heart is full of trust in Jesus. This is a rhythm. You're you're praying, asking Jesus to help you. You're repenting over the things. And by the way, you've got to repent of everything to put your trust in Jesus. But then we do that every day too, right? Every day I have to repent over things I've started to trust again. Every day I'm finding myself, oh man, why am I sitting over here? Right? I've got to go back. Every day. So it's a rhythm. Jesus, help me. I repent. I turn from that to you. And then I open up and find promises or just have them in my mind or somebody in my home group shares them with me and, and they strengthen my faith. And I think about those promises and pray over them until my faith is strengthened. And then we move ahead. Okay? All right. We maybe have time for like one or two questions. I like to open up for questions just because maybe I wasn't like clear and maybe if you want to, did you really say that? And then I'll have to think if I really said that or not. So... Does this make sense? Any questions to, to, to clarify? Any comments to, to clarify what I'm saying here? Maybe I was like really, really clear, huh? Wow. First time, okay. Here's, here's my plea, church. For your sake, for your eternity's sake, as your pastor, as one of the elders here, Repent of everything else you've been trusting and put your trust solely, wholly, completely in Jesus Christ. He's God. Look at him. He loved you and gave himself up for you. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the creator of everything. He will take care of you He will satisfy you. He will provide for you. He will guide you. He will meet you. He will forgive you when you stumble. He will strengthen you. He's Jesus Christ. He has never failed me. I have failed him numerous times. He has never failed me. He's met me every time I've turned to him. And he will do the same for you. Faith is the foundation. It's where it all starts. So don't settle for faith as agreeing to facts about Jesus. It's a deadly deception. And don't try to trust Jesus and other things. That's a deadly deception. You cannot do that. It's all or nothing. And when you're trusting Jesus, it's all. It is all. So let's pray together. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd come now and that you would make crystal clear in our hearts the other things we tend to trust besides you or that we try to trust alongside you. And I pray that right now you'd bring a gift of repentance so that we could see that for what it is 
And we could let those things be crucified, be put to death with you, Jesus, on the cross. We'd leave them there and trust you alone. Put this upon us, Lord, I pray. Thank you that you help us. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that we can turn back to you again and again and again and be forgiven. Help us, Lord. Bring your power upon us right now, I pray. So as Dave leads us, just let the Holy Spirit make things clear to you. If you right now, honestly from your heart, say, Jesus, show me what else I'm trusting besides you or trying to trust in addition to you. If you ask him that, he'll show you. And ask yourself, what do I desire the most? What do I fear losing the most? So Lord, come upon us now. So as Dave leads us, just pray and and let, let the Holy Spirit make things clear and then repent to those things and set your heart back fully, completely on Jesus Christ. Lord, what you've done on the cross can forgive all of our sins, all of our unbelief, all of our trusting in other things. You can break the power of the hold these things have on our hearts through your work on the cross. We rely solely, completely on you, Jesus, to save us. We want to trust in you completely to satisfy us. We look to you right now. Thank you that everyone who looks to you, everyone who calls upon you will be saved. So save us, Lord. Strengthen our trust in you. This week, I pray that we would have times where we see clearly what we're trusting besides you and kick that chair aside and turn and put our trust completely in you. Help us to get into that rhythm of prayer and repentance and trusting a promise and prayer and repentance and trusting a promise. Let that be the flow of our life, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.